one knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing? World Series of Poker rolls on into day three. They're at the dinner breakout in Las Vegas as we do the show here from South Florida. And uh, looking forward to following the tournament. Uh, A lot of South Florida players doing very well, which is uh, great for us to see, including the day three chip leader at the start of the day, a fellow named uh, Julian Milliard, who is from uh, Sunny Isles Beach. I don't know where he plays. Probably, I would guess, Gulfstream. Uh... Well, maybe well, uh, you know, Hard Rock. Hard Rock, yeah. Maybe Mar- Mardi I don't recognize Gras. Him. Mardi Gras could but be going to the... Uh, he lives kind of like right in the middle and could decide where he wants to go play, to yeah, be honest with you. Absolutely. Uh, but one of 8,569 total players, uh, just about 200, a little over 200 short of the all-time record, which was the year Jamie Gold uh, was the victor. But still a very impressive number because it's almost, almost 700,000 7, more. I mean, uh, 7, 700 nearly more. Nearly 700 over me, 700 last year. 700 more than last year, which yeah. is, indicates sli- just under 10% for more than last year. So They did allow players to, uh, to uh, sign in, uh, to uh, buy in on this before the start of day two, which was, uh, I believe, started at noon. So but by 11.50... Of either one in. of the day twos. Correct. Of either one of the day uh, twos. Day two AB, there was 100 buy-ins before the, the action started. 344 on Sunday on Well, you know, C. you asked me the last show that we were on here, what, you know, what did I think, and, and without knowing what the blind structure was, and then, I, you know, I remember seeing it all then, and then when day two, I, looking through the website, see that the blinds were going to be 500 and 1,000. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that's actually not a bad thing to come in because you you got sixty big blinds and the, and the rounds are two hours. What do they start with? Fifty and a hundred? Uh, either no, I doubt they said fifty. A hundred, hundred probably was the first round. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I just saw that the next level, you know, the the, the start of day two was going to be five hundred, a thousand was going to be the blind structure. Right. Okay. And I'm sure they're using the big blind ante, so you know, big blinds putting up to the two thousand, but still. You know, that's 60 big blinds. That gives you a lot of play to try to double up right away. And, you know, you double up once, you know, you're, you're right there in that mix. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're getting everything, you know, and, and you didn't have to go through all that hassle of the 12 hours and stuff. Um, again, for me, like I told you, if I come in late, that's why I like to play day one. I don't want to have my mentality, and obviously I probably would have to change that, is I hate to come in. You know, put pluck ten thousand dollars down and have sixty thousand, which yeah, compared to the blind structure. But all of a sudden, I'm looking up at somebody who's got half a million in chips, and I go, "Damn, I, I you know, I got to do nine times, eight times. Uh, I gotta, I gotta get to that point just to be equal with that particular person." But you know, the top-notch players know that they just wait their time and wait for their hands. Speaking of uh, spending ten thousand, we'll get to it in a second. But people who spent ten thousand dollars walked into the room drunk and were disqualified within a dozen hands. Because of the trouble that they were yeah, creating? Yeah, we'll go over those. A couple of funny situations. Of course, there's a million stories in a, a tournament with 8,500 players. But this year seems to be even crazier as we had the hurricane, the hurricane, the earthquake in uh, on July 4th in Ridgecrest, California, which was felt very strongly in Vegas. 
uh, on Thursday, which is the 4th. Uh, that was the 6.4 earthquake. The 7.1 came the next day and actually held up play. Uh, a lot of people were very scared. There were people diving under the tables. Uh, the, the ceiling lamps were swinging back and forth. It just so happened they were coming up on a big break, and they took the break early because they just wanted to make sure, check out the trusses and everything, make sure there was no problem. Now, Vegas is 150 miles away from the epicenter of the earthquake. So while they felt it quite strongly, it wasn't something that was going to really cause a lot of building damage in Vegas. But you've got to remember that in Mexico, Los Angeles, San Diego, and places like that, they actually felt that earthquake. Well, I guarantee you that their, their engineers were making sure that, you know, that maybe another one, uh, you know, another seven-pointer hits uh, a year later, are we going to be able to withstand that also? Because that's got to... It's got to leave some sort of damage on, yeah. on your structure. Absolutely. Um, You've you got to figure, too, you've got people from all over the world. So you've got East Coast people that have never felt an earthquake before, have no idea what it's like. In fact, kind of enjoyed it. Some of them were tweeting, you know, that they thought it was pretty cool. Uh, they never been through it. The people who live in California are used to them all the time. In fact, they've had 4,000 aftershocks from this earthquake since the first one hit. Right. So, like every t- five, ten minutes, you feel a little rumble. Well, let me tell you, my my brother who was in the Peace Corps in the Philippines, you know, uh, was telling me. And at that time, we lived up north, so we didn't have to go even through the hurricanes. But you know, they, they have the as they call them over there, the typhoons and everything, mm-hmm. right? And he he went through some of those the years that he was down there in the Peace Corps. But he went through an earthquake, and all he told me was, "Let me tell you something." He goes. In a hurricane, yes, it's dangerous, the flooding and everything, but you can find a place to hide. He goes, when the ground starts moving underneath you, you don't know where. He goes, you don't know where or what to do. He goes, because that's your foundation. And he goes, he goes, he got hit one when he was like five point something. And he goes, he goes, man, I didn't crap my pants by the, by the grace of God. He goes, because I didn't know what to do and what's going to fall on top of you. Where to hide? He goes, even in, even in tornadoes, you know, you get into the basement and stuff. He goes, earthquake was just, he, he goes, he, he hopes he never experiences one of those again. Yeah. Well, that was a big one. The people who live in that Ridgecrest area, which is about 150 miles uh, east of Vegas, or west of Vegas, and a little northeast of Los Angeles, maybe 200 miles northeast of Los Angeles. Uh, people who lived in that area said it was that... It was the the strongest thing they had ever. They'd never felt nothing nothing close to even being like that. Um, you know, and they get they get hurricanes all the time, or they get uh, earthquakes all the time. So uh, it was really dramatic, and it affected the whole area. So you never figure when you get people into one hotel, eighty five hundred poker players. Of course, there wasn't that many by that time, but. Uh, still, it's uh, something that people are going to talk about for a long, long time. Yeah, you know, uh, Mother Nature has a way of letting you know who's boss, you know, and God also with those with those things. So uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it there's really so is. many players. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you've been to the Rio, but uh, uh, they used an extra room that used to be, I think, the bowling alley or something, a little back small room to some of the overflow type tables, which was where Phil Ivey was put to start the event. He was out in the first hour. Really? Yeah. So that was one thing people were talking about. Uh, there were also two disqualifications that I wanted to mention. Uh, we'll also talk about some of the South Florida players. Uh, co-hosting the show three weeks ago in, this, in the chair you're sitting in was Michael Tate. And uh, Michael made it day three, 224,000 chips. Good for him. Um, 
we watched. Uh, I watched quite a bit of play on uh, ESPN2 and got a chance to see Steve, Steve Karp on one of the feature tables at the same table as the grinder and knocked the grinder out of the tournament. Do you remember the hand by any uh, chance? Steve had pocket sixes and the grinder had pocket fives, and they got it all in preflop. Wow, they yeah. got it all in with fives and sixes, yeah. huh? Yeah. Wow. Of course, grinder very uh, probably shoved. And Steve said he wasn't going to get pushed around. Knows the grinder well for many years. Yeah, he's you know he does push a and lot. No, he of, will uh, throw a some lot of garbage mediocre out there. hands. Right, and, exactly. But still, to take a stance with pocket sixes, yeah, that that's that's a nice call, Steve. Nice call. Yeah, it was that was interesting. Uh, several other players uh, that I knew were on some of the feature tables and met some new people watching them. Uh, very interesting players. Um, that uh, we'll talk about during the night tonight. But uh, the return of uh, Kui Win to the top of the chip lead, uh, at, or near the top, uh, he's has had 602,000 chips heading into today. He was an impressive today. winner just a couple of years ago. Currently, uh, Kui is uh, still up near the top here. Let me see if I can get him here. He's in 13th place right now in the chips with 800,000. So Kui is They better be there. careful because he really knew how to wheel the big stack, Absolutely. remember? Absolutely. Oh. Uh, Galen Hall is third in chips. Remember, Ooh, yeah, I know one of your names you will recognize. Uh, the chip leader is Andrew Brokos, who is a uh, a podcaster. He has his own podcast. At the moment right now? Yeah. So Julian fell down, I guess. Julian dropped down a little bit. He's currently in sixth place with uh, 900,000 chips. So he's gone down Well, he a probably bit. didn't really go down. The others just well, probably he went came from up nine, and passed him, right? He went from nine, nine, 975 to 900,000. Oh, okay. So he went down. Faraz Jaka is in 14th place up near the top. Oh, I was going to ask you because when I was looking at these uh, day twos and, and some of the day ones, I saw that 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 South Florida's own Maurice Hawkins at one point he's had out. a nice. Oh, he did get yeah, a. He got, he's out. He had a nice stack for at, he did at for that a while. moment. He did for a while, but Maurice is out. Uh, two local players that uh, live near uh, here that came from other places but live here. Uh, Joey Cooden is one who plays in a lot of the tournaments down here. He's doing very well. I think he has about 550,000 chips. And the other is, let's see, uh, Alan Kessler, I wanted to mention. He is having a good tournament. In he fact, started right off the top very good, too. Yeah, Because yeah, I, I remember seeing him. He played in day one yeah. when we were actually doing the show. Had like 300,000 from day one. Exactly. He's at 582. There was a funny tweet. Uh, uh, Matthew Smith from the, the Tallahassee, Matthew Smith, tweeted, uh, he goes, how can a guy have over 400,000 chips after day two and complain about the number of chocolate chips in the ice cream at the at the hotel? That's just, <laughs> that's, that's just the way he is. Kelly Minkin doing very well. She's up in the top 20. A uh, lot of big names. Josh Arier, he's on a heater right now and doing very well. Uh, Timothy he, wasn't T.K. He Miles. the one who hit that miracle uh, yeah. 2-7? So. On, on the 2-7. Yeah, that, listen, you just ride that feeling. Absolutely. T.K. Miles, uh, originally from Tallahassee, now in, lives in Miami Beach. He is currently in uh, 78th place, 550,000 chips. So we'll keep an eye on all those players. We'll try to find out what some of our friends are doing, like Michael uh, Tate and a few others, and uh, see what's happening. But we'll talk all about it. But I want to get to the... Uh, the two incidents, uh, besides the, the earthquake, which uh, was a big topic of conversation, but uh, day 1C was very wild for a couple of reasons. There were two disqualifications. Uh, one was a drunk player that sat down. In fact, when he came to the table, he sat down in seat 6. He was supposed to be in seat 5. And the dealer says, no, he goes, this is your seat here. And he said, 
He says, I want to play, I just steal the cards. <laughs> so finally they got the guy in his seat. He played a few hands. Uh, they said he played okay. He didn't play stupidly or anything like that. Uh, lost a couple things here and there. And uh, ended up uh, winning a hand, about 1,600 chips or something. Uh, the seat next to him was open. And he switched when, seats again? And when they pushed the chips to him, he reached over and grabbed the chips, chip stack from the guy next to him and raked it in with his chips. Oh, wow. And it was really obvious, too, because he, I think the 1,600, was, there was a 1,000, a 500, and a 100. So he had three chips, and then he took the other guy's stack. So immediately the dealer calls uh, Jack Effel over. And he is escorted from the premises. They didn't say what they were going to do as far as, uh, as going on. But uh, his name was Georgi Belianin. I don't even know what country he's from, but uh, European. And uh, pretty crazy uh, for someone to do that. Uh, and he apologized profusely uh, today uh, on social media. said that uh, he played the entire night the night before finally realized that they were getting ready to start, was still drunk, came over and uh, bought in and uh, played. $10,000. Boy, yeah, just gave $10,000 away. Uh, the other story is even crazier. Uh, and I, I saw the pictures of it actually happening. They got it on uh, one of the people who had it on their phone. But the uh, player went in blind pre-flop, and when he said, I'm in blind, and he got up and turned around and he pulled his pants down. And if that wasn't enough, nobody, in fact, had, had said anything to him yet. I know there was four people near, had come up, and they were nearby. He starts taking off his shoes. He took off one shoe and sock, and the second shoe, and he flipped it up in the air, and it hit the dealer in the hand. The dealer was sitting there, and it hit him in the hand when he was sitting there. So then the, the female floor said, that is enough, you know. And So this guy uh, was also drunk. Well, thrown out of the tournament. But the funny thing is, you mentioned the the home run uh, derby tonight. The favorite was Josh, Josh Bell. Bell. He was wearing a Josh Bell jersey. Uh. <laughs> but a fat, bald guy, and uh, you know, I, I don't and a I, moron. <laughs> I think if I were him, I would have been embarrassed just to take my pants down and let everybody see my junk. Well, <laughs> but he was uh, he was thrown out immediately, and. Social media people posted later on he had gone down to the Luxor and was doing a dance, pulling his pants down on the uh, one of the craps tables at the Luxor. Oh, my God. Got arrested down yeah. there. Oh, good for him. There you go. <laughs> Pretty crazy, but, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't even the big story with the earthquake really kind of dominating all the discussion. But uh, a lot of big names doing very well. Tom Canooley, uh, who made the November 9, and was a real class act when he got a real bad beat in the November 9 a couple of years ago. He's back. He was up with a big first day. And uh, several other name players right near the top of the list. Uh, Joe Cotta is, uh, is still in there. And uh, John Sin, although he had a small chip stack. Jason Mercier. Uh, had still a, alive? He was alive, but he only had 17,000 chips. He may be out by now. We'll have to see. Uh, interesting hand with Jamie Gold on the feature table. Where uh, today this was uh, no this was on one of the day ones, and he flopped the the bottom end of a straight. the The board was uh, flopped king jack queen, mm. and he had nine ten. And okay, 
That's not quite the same as if it was, say, 10-jack-queen and he had the 9-8. Well, he's gone head-to-head with one of the guys. And uh, this uh, Syrian uh, uh, convenience store owner, I don't know from where he was from, uh, St. Louis or something, uh, had ace-10. And when he shoved, Cold Gold could not believe it. And stood up and went, oh, this is sick. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. And he used about three or four minutes of thinking and finally said, you know, I, I think I got a call. And he said, I, he was worried about how he was going to look on the TV program. Oh, what's this going to look like? You know, if I fold a, if I fold a winner, he goes, it's going to look bad and this and that. And when they flipped over the cards, he sure flipped, enough, the guy had the nuts. The guy had the nuts. Yeah, now he's and that drawing, that now he's dead to three outs to just to get his chips back. He uh, actually had the guy covered, so he did, he wasn't knocked out, but he he was crippled and uh, went out shortly after that. So, uh, pretty crazy stuff. We'll get into a few other things that happened over the first couple of days that I got a chance to see a lot of the ESPN coverage, which was great and extensive. It was kind of funny. Uh, they were on at night, uh, anywhere from two to four hours on the first three nights. Then on Saturday. They they were on in the afternoon for only a couple hours, and then tonight they're on starting at 10 o'clock tonight, so 10 to well, 2 a.m. hopefully I could see some of it on Wednesday when I'm off and, and everything else. Yeah, you if know. you can get home tonight, you might be able to see a little bit of 10, p- 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. So uh, all that stuff happening out there. We'll run down some of the names, some of the uh, interesting characters, and talk about a few things when we get back. You're listening to Poker Action Line. Big Dave and Joe talking World Series of Poker here as we roll on day three as we do the show. We'll be back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Hey, over here. Um, what? Right here, on the side of the house. Who said that? Look down. I'm right at your feet. Wait, the basketball? Yes, the basketball. Right down here, where the kids left me a long time ago. Man, you know how lonely it is being a ball and not being able to bounce or roll? Excuse me? Remember when you got me for the kids? You said, now kids, you have no excuse not to go outside and play. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. I'll miss flying through the air and hearing the shouts of joy when I swish through the basket. What do you say? Could you give me a little air and remind the kids of how fun I still am? Okay. Oh, wow. You are flat. (laughs) Easy. I'm ticklish. Let's get bouncing. As Native American parents and caregivers, our encouragement to healthy lifestyles for our kids is helping them get outside and play. Get ideas. Get involved. Get going at letsmove.gov slash Indian Country. Brought to you by USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro, is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night, following NHRA national events, NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. 
Welcome back to the show. Big Dave and Joe talking World Series of Poker, main event. Phil Hellmuth uh, made a late appearance. Uh, a lot of people thought he might end up missing the main event. He made a trip to Machu Picchu and uh, the Galapagos Islands. It turns out he went with uh, uh, Peter Gruber, I guess, as an actor, and also Rob Lowe were the two, peop- two of the people he went with. And he did show up in Vegas on Saturday night and entered on Sunday morning. Uh, did not make it that far. Uh, was knocked out by uh, a fellow named Timothy Stansek. And uh, his basically the hand that really sent him down was he tried a triple barrel bluff with a five high. And uh, he was called down in the three-bet pot. The 10-high board was paired. The river had a four-card straight, and Helmuth shoved the river. Uh, and it didn't. He had Vang covered, uh, a fellow named Kavu Vang. And Vang had two pair, leaving everyone stunned as it put uh, Helmuth under 20 big blinds. And soon after, he did pick up a hand uh, by opening to 2,000 with the blinds at a 500 and a 1,000, plus the big blind ante. And he had ace-king offsuit against deuces, pocket deuces, and flopped the top two to hold on to double. But the next hand, he, uh, or the next couple of hands, he raised to 2,800 with the blinds at 600 and 1,200. Uh, Stancic called him. The dealer put out a flop of 443 rainbow. Well, actually, two diamonds. Stancic checked. Helmuth bet 5,200. Stancic checked, raised to 12-2. And Helmuth went in the tank for about two minutes, eventually uh, called with his King Jack offsuit. <laughs> and uh, the board went eight of clubs and six of clubs. And what did his opponent have? His opponent had uh, two pair, fives and fours, so he had pocket fives. Yeah, so there you go. So that knocked him out. Uh, he apologized to everybody. Of course, probably had a big markup on all the people supporting him that the Played in, and he said, "I really don't have anything to blame. I made a reckless bluff, and the guy made an amazing call on me." But he goes, "That's on me." He said, and kind of made kind of an excuse. Said, "Because in the main event, you're dealing with people that just don't play very often, so when you try something sophisticated, it's difficult to get away from it. So then you have to own it. And that's on me." Uh, Negranu uh, said, "You know, it's nice of him to own that one. He wasn't at his best for sure. He said it's difficult to play your best tired, and that's part of the reason Phil typically favors sleep over showing up on time. Uh-huh. So Helmuth is out. Negranu also is out, but he did have one big hand. He was on the feature table, I think, on Thursday night. And there was a woman at the table named Carol Harmon, who was a big fan of his, by the way. But they talked about, and there was a couple good lines that came out of this whole thing. Uh, he said... Uh, his famous quote from that commercial is that everything at the table conveys information. And he talks about, you know, how you can pick up things that from other what other players, the way they act, and to to make some of the incredible uh, calls and, uh, you know, identification of the hands that other people have. But he actually ended up uh, folding with the third nuts on a hand where he had king, queen of, king of spades and the queen, I think, was diamonds. Uh, he's playing against a woman named Carol Harmon, and he had a read on her that she was being pretty tight. Uh, she had a pre-flop raise to 2,500 with the blinds at 300-500, and he obviously knows she has a pretty strong hand. So he defended in the big blind, and the flop came jack-nine 
six all spades. So he had the queen of spades. He, he had the, he has the king of spades. Oh, the king of spades. Right. Okay. Uh, and the queen of, the queen was diamonds, I think. All right. So he also has a gut shot draw to uh, the straight, and he has a king high flush draw to go with it. So fi- with fifty eight hundred in the in the pot, Harmon tossed in a hefty five thousand dollar continuation bet. They round of called. So at this point, he's looking to get more information. Uh, putting on Harmon upon a pretty narrow range, including uh, some combinations involving the Ace of Spades, he thinks. You know, which which he, then is which not going to be horrible for him. For him. Yeah. Uh, the, the river, or the turn, I should say, turns the Queen of Spades. So now he has a tremendous hand, but he's still worried. Uh, he checks. She bets about half the pot, 8,000. And he decides to uh, fold. As it turned out, she had pocket aces, one of them the ace of spades. Yeah, there you go. So just a <laughs> tremendous one. People are thinking, you know, hey, this is crazy to, to fold that kind of thing. Um, one of the chip leader coaching instructors said, uh, from a theoretical standpoint, this is a clear-cut call, and folding is bad. But Daniel uses some great live exploits here to find a fantastic fold. And he talks about how... When he's having this conversation with her during the hand to gauge how comfortable she is, you know, trying to figure out, he said, you know, he just is an expert. If she had uh, not non-nutted a hand like a set or a worse flush, or she likely would respond differently than she did. So he's picking up this information. I think that's a good lesson for people that you keep your eyes and ears open, and you can uh, sometimes learn a lot at the table. Yeah, and. Also noting that she's betting into Daniel Negrano, and and she's feeling very comfortable. So, you know, that had to be a, a big uh, giveaway for him to read that really quick on her. And, and, you know, and that's what these top-notch players do. Remember a few years ago when Mike Matisau came down here and played at the aisle and part of a teaching, and he, he wound up taking down the tournament, and right, he had a right. great laydown with a woman that he said, he goes, Congratulations! You hit your set, and he had hit top two, and she had hit bottom set, and you know, no one could believe it. And he made a great read on that, and eventually won that tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just end of the story. Uh, he did bag up uh, seventy-two thousand for the for the opening flight, and uh, then got knocked out on his day two, when he was down to about thirty big blinds and uh, ran his pocket jacks into aces. Oof. So even the best in the world, you know, there's, sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Listen, that's, that's what happens. But they, talk, I, they talked the, about the hand with Jamie Gold, and they were saying, you know, a lot of times you just have an unbelievable cooler where there's no way you can get away from it. But that he probably should have thought a little harder, especially when this guy shows that, you know, he just can't end his turn. He may have been thinking the like guy that. had King Ace in his hand. He thought the guy know. maybe had King Queen, I think. Right, had two pairs and... Or, or or an ace with with the king or the queen, and right. he figured he'd push because of the, his opponent. But you know, to push for your tournament, li- well, him pushing for his tournament life again. Jimmy Gold's played very crazy since he won the main event. At right. least the times that I've seen, that uh, you know, I don't know if he's changed his style. Obviously, um, and he'll never get hit with a deck in another tournament like he did. Oh, in no, 2006. That, you, listen, I don't think anybody's going to get hit with the deck like he got hit that year. Yeah, it didn't matter what what he bet or what what card what what he played, it came in for him, and that was from day one all the way through until he won the the, the championship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not the end. Obviously, there's several other tournaments going on out there, including today. Star kicked off the 
1,111 little one for one drop. And uh, a lot of the players uh, calling it the second chance open. <laughs> to get knocked out. There's also there was this is something weird. Uh, you know, as we talked about, there was 80 bracelet live bracelet events and nine online events. During the tournament, they actually added a high roller called, I think they're calling it the second 50. And it was a tournament at the end that was like the first 50, a $50,000 buy-in high roller tournament that starts, I think it starts tomorrow. So it's like right during the main event, but they actually added one. So now there's 90 total bracelets. And the big argument out there was everybody that had already bought in to the fantasy contest, like Negranu's uh, $25,000 fantasy contest, were trying to decide if that event should count. And a lot of people said, oh, I would have taken that into account. I might have played it a little differently. You know, they've played some more high rollers instead. So they ended up not counting that tournament, but it is a bracelet event. And uh, just thought it was kind of weird uh, because the World Series of Poker said the big complaint was that there was only one big high roller. There was 100,000 and then the big 50, but which was only a small buy-in. But uh, they wanted to add another tournament at the very end, which was kind of crazy. Well, you know, listen. You gauge what's out there. You gauge what the players want want you to do. Uh, remember, they're they're doing a business, and and if they can earn some more money by putting another high roller out there, they're going to definitely do it. You've got the dealers out there. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the other thing that they've responded to, uh, and were a little sensitive to, was there was a lot of complaints about poker uh, player security out in the parking lots. There were a couple of robberies where people had their buy-ins. $10,000 buy-in stolen out in the parking lot really? at gunpoint. And uh, so the WSOP said that uh, it's very important for them to uh, take care of players. They have many layers of security. They said some visible, some not. We feel very confident in them, and we work with all the local, state, and federal agencies. But they did list a whole bunch of things that people can do to make themselves a little bit safer. Uh, they do have security escorts available to anybody that wants to walk out of the Rio. Uh, he said you can go to any yellow-shirted security team member to request a, uh, an escort to your car. Uh, use the safety deposit boxes that they have. Uh, instead of carrying around cash, wire transfers or yep. uh, allowing checks as a method, method of payment have been a, a way to use. And they also even let you use casino chips sometimes as a method of payment. Uh, this year, something new is a tournament buy-in account that allows players to be completely digital in all their deposits and withdrawals, and of course, use the valet parking, which some people will never want to do. Yeah, well, but listen, it, it, you got that amount of money on you, you know, especially when everyone knows that you're, you know, the people that are walking in more than likely are looking to register for the main event. Why not do that early on in the tournament? You can register for the main event. Week one, yeah, exactly. When no one's expecting that, you know, and and you already have your your buy-in at that point, you know, and you don't have to even worry about that. It's, but I am surprised that the WSOP didn't have more security in parking lot areas because you know. Well, they said they did that uh, they may be not as visible as some people, you know, some of it's undercover and that sort of thing. So, but. You know, there's a lot of players coming and going. The cover's no good. That's when you're hoping something happens yeah, and you've exactly. got somebody there. You know, you you show you show a, a strength of and a force of, you know, uniform security or or police all over the place. You know, guess what? 
Those people are going to think twice unless they're extremely desperate to do this. So that, that you know, I that's actually probably something that they will definitely address very seriously for next year because right. that's that's a reputation you definitely don't want to to get. You know, they said that multiple players had reported being robbed at gunpoint in the parking lot. Multiple, yeah. you know, that's 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 when you say multiple, if it's Three, four, maybe okay, but if if that number gets it to double digits, you know that's unacceptable. To be honest with you, because yeah. these people have to be coming up and complaining that after the first one, you should be you should already be taking measures to 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 try to offset that. You know, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, farmers champions, uh, where they are as far as. Uh Looking at uh, their pr- progress, I don't have anything up to date as far as today. But John Sin, I know, had a very low chip stack at the end of day one, but ran it up from about twenty-four thousand to like two hundred forty thousand at the end of day two. So he's doing pretty well. Uh, some of the uh, former champions that were still alive going into today's action: Joe McKeon, uh, Jamie Gold uh, is out now, Robert Farconi, Joe Cata. And some other big names, Leon Sukernik from the Kings Casino over in the Czech, Czech Republic, uh, Ali Imserovich, Matt Affleck, Garrick Edelstein, who is on uh, Survivor, and uh, another Survivor character, Jean-Robert Ballon, still alive as well. So uh, we'll try to update some of the big name players. Uh, also, they are finishing things up, a lot of talk about the, the first 50 gala that uh, Doyle Brunson was honored, and Chris Moneymaker uh, played at the feature table one night, and he is still alive. I saw, yeah, I was looking at some of that right before we came back on the air from the break. Chris Moneymaker was around 375,000 right. chip count, so good for him. Yeah, a lot of... lot of. So that means we still got a lot of main event uh, winners still alive, right? Still will have a lot of people that we're seeing for the first time, but uh, we will see a lot of big names uh, doing well. And we'll take a look more, a uh, bigger look at some of those. Let's take another break on the show, and we'll come back in a little bit. Big Dave and Joe coming to you from our studios in South Florida, and we appreciate uh, you listening to the show as usual. Look forward to uh, talking to some of these players when they come back to town. We'll have some of these people on. Hopefully, Michael Tate's still hanging in there. Certainly, hope he is doing well, and uh, several other players. So we'll be back with more of the show when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line, and we'll be right back. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. 
As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. It's tough to break into a career. Everybody wants to hire someone with experience. But how can you get experience if no one will hire you? Employers like to see that you've done the hands-on work. In the Guard, you can get paid training in your specialty. Then go out and apply those skills in the civilian world. I wouldn't be where I am today without the Guard. I'm serving my country, and I'm succeeding in the National Guard. Call 1-800-GO-GUARD and ask how you can get the job skills you need for the career you've always wanted in the National Guard. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez here on Poker Action Line. And uh, about a week or so ago, they had the TDA Summit. We talked a little bit about it last week. We talked about uh, things like uh, poker dealers having to announce the uh, size of bets on every hand and that sort of thing. And we'll get to some of what uh, they finally decided out there. But one of the discussions was about the big blind ante, which has become pretty commonplace. What do you find in your room? Uh, do you use it all the time now, or what? Yeah, we've been using it in all our tournaments. The one not in cash suggestion, though. no, 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 no. <laughs> not in cash games, no. Um, the one suggestion one one player mentioned to us because we started when the levels were at 400, 800. Now, granted, we're doing 15-minute levels. You know, obviously, we're not doing two-hour blind levels, but is to start the ante a little sooner, actually. Okay. Because it doesn't get to that point. Because you know, you know, eight eight that's sixteen hundred. You know, in the tournament, and and it gets it gets serious quickly. You know, once that ante does kick in, so. Um, but otherwise, for me as a manager, I think it's outstanding running a room because speeds you know, up play. Obviously. Listen, didn't you didn't you get a penalty uh, when we went to the horse tournament because you weren't putting up your ante fast enough? They no, warned that you. Wasn't, was, that wasn't why. I think I exposed my hand too early. On. Oh, is that what it was? Because yeah. I always thought it was that. It just it becomes a major that issue. That was that was a problem, and they had to keep reminding me. Or they set you out for a round. Are you sure? The reason I got set out was because I exposed my hand prematurely. Oh, okay. All right. With so action pending. For some reason, we're talking about the Andes. I know you kept forgetting them, and I thought that may have been why they 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 penalized you around. But as a dealer, you know, you're trying to pay attention to all the thing. You're telling people to put it up front, but sometimes when you're in the middle of shuffling the cards and doing this, and you look up. And all of a sudden you're going, all right, one blind is missing. And they're not putting them in front of them. They're throwing them in front. And sure enough, you can ask the whole table. Everyone will tell you they threw it in there. But obviously one person didn't. And it slows the game down. You're in these big tournaments. You don't want to lose hands. You know, so now you're never going to have that problem. Right. You're never, ever going to have that problem. Because if, if you don't have the annies in the center, just look at the big blind and go, buddy, you didn't put in your big blind. You didn't put in the annies. Right. There's no questions as to who didn't put it in, no arguments on the table, because I've seen it get really nasty, you know, in tournaments, especially when there's a big prize pool. People are going, yeah, buddy, you know you didn't put it in, that guy, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, 
it just creates so many problems. So I personally think it's a great idea. Where it gets a little sticky, I guess, is when you get players at the table that are short-stacked and maybe can't cover both when it's their turn. So you have to decide, should they... Should the big blind take precedent over the the ante? No, the the the, the ante goes in first because everybody else has had to put it in, and then whatever you got left as your big blind, you know, obviously you're going to be short of whatever the big blind is. That's what you're eligible to win plus your blind that's uh, your antes that are in the center. Well, here was the argument out there. Most of the most of the uh, tour, tournament directors agree with you in that the uh, the big blind should be put in first. Uh, or the ante should be put in first. Uh, so Hallert called for the big blind to be put in first. Uh, and he said that, uh, do you want to be friendly or do you want to be logical? That's what it comes down to. And uh, the support for the ante first was nearly unanimous. Yeah, you got to. In my opinion, there's no other way of going about it. You're giving that person too much of an advantage that he could put the big blind and get five callers and be eligible to win all of that, plus whatever his whatever the minimal amount of ante that he had left in chips put in there. That's not fair, in, in my opinion, as a, as a manager of a room. It's just not fair. Right. If everybody else has had to put up in the ante, the ante goes in first, and then whatever you got left co- goes to cover whatever part of the blind you can put in there. Now, if you lose a couple players from the table, maybe for until uh, they're unable to shift somebody over, uh, should that change the size of the big blind ante? And there was a lot of different discussions about that. Uh, Matt Savage was uh, said keeping the ante a little larger, he points out, creates more action. More players bust out, creating a deeper stack tournament for those who are still in. Uh, some of the TDs said they remain in favor of reducing. Uh, they argued it more closely resembles the size of the antes when using the traditional type of ante. Well, I don't know what the time frame, not having been out there to see how this moves, but if you have a hand where maybe you knock out two or three people, let's just say, and that table gets really short-handed, I'm more for waiting until the players get in there than taking my chances. You yeah. understand? I'd rather lose holding a hand play, holding up, holding on that table. The okay. clock keeps going, obviously. No one's going to stop the clock for one table. But think about it. If you are a little short-stacked you'd ra- and, and you're sitting right behind the button, now you're at a disadvantage because there's three hands less that you're going to be able to see. Let's, let's assume that it's at that point than waiting for these things. Uh, the bigger stack people will probably be looking more to push it around. I'm just thinking that that could be one suggestion towards it. Right. You know? uh, a couple of the other things that they talked about was the dis- making the decision whether uh, the dealers should be announcing the size of bets and raises. Um, really, they decided to kind of make that something they would uh, put in there as a suggestion, but not as a hard and fast rule and take a look at it again a year from now and see what happens. But he said it's going to take time for the dealers to get up to speed and once this starts to get going, I think people are going to say that it's excellent. I think it is, and it always was when I was, you know, learning in this thing. No one had that issue with that, you know. Even all ins, we'd break them down and say hey, he's all in for, you know, X amount, you know, uh, as as the, you know, no limit and all this thing kept growing. They didn't want to do that. For me, I would just keep it that way. If somebody goes all in, unless somebody says count down the stack, you don't do anything with it. Just say the player's all in. But if a bet is made, what does it matter if somebody, if the dealer counts it out to make things move quicker and, and have no mistakes from somebody? I, I don't understand what kind of advantage you think you're going to get to scare somebody at that point. 
the all-in bet I understand, but <clears throat> if somebody would bet, you know, I was always so used to telling them, and now you you know you hearing people, oh, you're not supposed to do that, you know, blah 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 blah. You know, the game has changed a bit. I guess I'm getting way too old for this sort of stuff. I think it's ridiculous, you know, if someone makes a wager that you can't say, you know, what the ba- what the wager is, especially if you got someone, you know, who is older maybe sitting at a, at the longest end of the table from where that person made a bet and still has cards. You know, I, I don't understand. I mean, all that person, all they have to do also is just ask, what's the size of the bet? So, I, I don't, I personally, I'd love to see one of the top players tell me what they think the advantage is to that. I Like I said, I understand it in an all-in bet that you want to put the intimidation factor. But even with that, somebody can simply just say, what's his all-in bet for? Right. So, I don't see the psychological advantage that, that great when someone could still break down your stack by just asking how much is that all in for. Okay, a couple other things they discussed, uh, and there was complete agreement among all the TDs that uh, uh, they needed to eliminate any two-motion raises. Like some people would put the calling chips in first. They would say raise, but put the calling chips in first and then announce what the raise is. And, and the TD said they had needed to eliminate that completely. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I'm thinking about it. Those are things that have happened in the past. Now, somebody can be using that as a nice little move to see how scared somebody, their opponent is, as to are they going to push a lot stronger, you know, than they wanted to. Because they see the weakness, or if they see that person seems pretty eager to make a call on whatever it is, all of a sudden now you're going to take a minimum raise. So, yeah, I guess to avoid any issues of somebody doing that, uh, you know, again, novice players or, you know, new beginning players are probably not doing that to get read to get a read on their opponent. They're just probably not sure as to how they're going to size up their raise compared to, to what the call is, so... Another thing they talked about were players that cover their faces to avoid giving away any reads. And a lot of times you see the sleeve over the mouth and that sort of thing. But occasionally you see a guy wear a motorcycle helmet or something like that with a, with a visor. Um, that They need to be careful about that. Um, the general agreement between the TDs was that there's a reasonable limit, and it was decided that wording a rule was something like floor staff must be able to identify a player at all times. I don't have a problem with that. You know, if your game depends on you hiding your damn face, then you might want to pick something else to do. I always had a problem with that. I still remember before Howard Letterer got involved with all the stuff that him and Chris Ferguson, with full tilt, had a player once who, like, went into it, almost looked like a cocoon, and Howard Letterer finally said, all right, you can come out now. I'm going to fold, you know. But the funniest one, and I mentioned it years ago when I was down in uh, Ruba to represent the PPC before their name went to mud. There was a kid wearing a uh, a hoodie that was a Spider-Man hoodie. And whenever he went all in, the hoodie would come up and he could zip it up. So it was like completely, <laughs> so it's completely just the mask of it. You know, you saw the mesh there, but you couldn't see read his face at all. I I thought that was really cute. I was laughing my ass off the first time he did that. Um. The other thing that they uh, finally, well, the final decision on that and how they worded it for the uh, for the rules was clothing or other accoutrements must not continuously obscure player identity or become a distraction to the game. Okay. Uh, they also uh, proposed uh, uh, that 
to do away with ten-handed final tables in a nine-handed event uh, be banned, uh, with the caveat that some rooms might need to look out for their bottom lines and combine at ten if they needed the table open. Wow! If you need that table open, that's that's you know that's rough. Um, and the main reasoning behind that is that so the final two they, tables would be five and five. They said that's what they would like to happen, or yeah, that was that was what they agreed to finally. What so 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 even Banning this main event, tables. even this main of oh you mean not a final final table. tables? Why yeah. why would you do that? I think it's part of the excitement, and on top of that, if you're ba- if you're banning that, you're going to be at five five. The blinds are going to be going. I mean, you know, I think I'm surprised the players are putting up with that because I would prefer it to get to the ten to the ten you know ten table. This gives you a lot more play depending on where that button is and 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 hands that you could choose from, especially if the blinds and annies are really large at that point. I'm I'm surprised the players haven't gotten a little more upset with that. Yeah. So most of the things were pretty much resolved. They did table some stuff until next year. So uh, always pretty interesting to get some of the big tournament directors, the names of the game, to just kind of talk about you know things that maybe are changing in the game and and how we always need to adjust at, at times. It is, and you know, and it's a gr- it's always we've always you know championed the the, the idea that this got started years ago to try to get it as uniform as possible. So that way. Tournament players from different parts of the country feel comfortable because I know, you know, in the past, certain rooms did something. I'll give you an example, Dave, and I don't know if the TDA announces this, but, I, you know, when I went to Ocala, once again, to represent the PPC at that time, um, the poker room manager and I didn't see eye to eye, but, you know, he was running the tournament, so I couldn't say anything, but tables were, you know, short two players and you had full tables everywhere else, you should be moving somebody from a table to make it eight, you know. And he kept insisting, no, it's okay if you're too short. And, man, did I hear a lot of complaints from people, and I kept telling them, listen, you know, <laughs> I'm just representing the company. The room is run by the poker manager here, or the poker director, and, you know, their rules play here in in, in, in their room, obviously. But, you know, that was something that I had never heard. I, I made phone calls People were telling me this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You know, you just don't do that to players and have them that sh- you know shortchanged and, and everything else. And he would not, for the life of him, I don't know if he dug, you know dug his feet and feet in, in, in the sand and said I'm not moving, but I'm not budging from this right. decision. And people were so pissed off. So I I you know. Certain rules, like I said, as a tournament director, you see certain things that you're going this way, and then you hear people saying why they don't think it's right. And, you you know, sometimes you take a step back and you go, you know what, now that I'm analyzing this and looking at it from a different perspective, yeah, you know what, I think we can make a change here. And then you, you discuss it amongst your t- tournament director peers. And, you know, I believe most of these decisions, they all think it's for the better. You remember when the TD said about if you weren't at the table when the cards were dealt, first you card get, off the first deck, card off the deck, or last card, you know, and, and the players went ballistic. Yeah, you know, they made that change really quick to, to eliminate that. Uh, one of the final things that they uh, often discuss is uh, is uh, re-entries and multi-entry events. Uh, of course, Matt Savage was one of the ones that really kind of introduced it to everybody, and now is against it. Would prefer, prefer a complete return to freeze-out tournaments. Uh, one entry, uh, but you know they did agree that the cat was pretty much out of the bag here, 
and he said that uh, if a multiple reentry was an option, that maybe aiming for shorter registration times, but admitted it's not something the TDA can govern as venues have fallen in love with the larger numbers and bigger guarantees. We've discussed this over the years, Dave. We really have, and you've voiced your opinion, and I did also at the beginning that you know it sucks if you're saving up for a nice big tournament in your hometown, and you know you've saved up your 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 dollars to get into this, and then obviously, you know the the better off players or the top players who have deep much deeper pockets come in and do this, so it becomes a, a double-edged sword. You know, you can't give those big guarantees unless you're doing these things. And, you know, the the room eventually has to do what they think is going to produce them money and, and, and generate some excitement in the poker room. And just like he said, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's no going back home, no 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 going back to the country once you've seen the city, as they right, say, exactly. you know. Well, Sean McCormick from the ARIA, the director of poker, uh, said he prefers freeze-outs as a player, but the bottom line in a crowded market like Las Vegas simply means he can't afford to run his room that way. He said, I wouldn't be doing my job to let people walk across the street to Planet Hollywood or to the Bellagio. He said, I think the two camps between cash and tournaments have separated a lot in recent years. Uh, our retention rate is the best in the city, but it's probably 15 to 20%. If you don't continually give them something to play for, they are going to leave your property. And and I couldn't have said it any better and couldn't agree with him any better. I, as a player, I would prefer the freeze out. You understand? But, again, uh, you know, as a manager looking at it, for, you know, from, from the other side of the fence, um, I agree 100% with what he said. Right. You have to do that if that's what your players and that's what, and especially in a competitive city like that, especially when, uh, you, like he said, the other rooms are, are running similar tournaments at the same time. You're you're competing for these players. You know, you got to do what you got to do for your business. Right. Again, personal, you got to put your personal feelings aside. And you and I are both proponents of, you know, single entry freeze out. That's it. You know. The only thing I would suggest for people who are doing that is, you know, we know what the schedule is going to be like many months before. You know you're going to make your plans out there. You know, if there are re-entries and you're definitely going to go in there, then you've got to change your mindset and right. say, I can't go in there with one buy and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm well, going to put aside two more bullets in this particular tournament. I think if you limit it to <laughs> one re- re-entry on a tournament or on a day, that's fine. Uh, but it's these people that come in and buy in eight, nine times uh, that's really bastardized the game, I think. Uh, and you know what? That's really not a bad idea, Dave. You know, one, maybe two, you know. It, it depends on how big the guarantee is. Right, yeah. You understand that? Because, again, limiting it to one or two, knowing that this tournament the year before had X amount of entries, and you've got to analyze how many were three, four, five people footing those bullets, and how close did you come to to making the guarantee? If you blew the guarantee away, then maybe you think about limiting it to one or two because it, it didn't matter that someone was able to fire five or six, seven bullets right. at it like Daniel Negrano does in a lot of tournaments. One uh, final thing, uh, Katie Stone uh, brought this up. In order to uh, have TDs and supervisors craft an environment that makes women want to keep coming back, they should have a standardized code of conduct. Uh, and with strict penalties, I would, I would, I would add also, because that, that's something that we need to do. Right. Give dealers the ability to give warnings at the table, have push-button lights on dealer chairs to call floor drinks and seat open and stuff like that. Uh, of course, 
when you start legislating that, you need the you need to be able to have the flexibility, depending on your room, depending on the situation. And you know that very well, that it's really hard to have a hard and fast code of conduct in the game of poker. All right, but if I announce before a tournament, you will, you will get one warning, and after that you'll be giving a round, then you'll be given half an hour, and then you will be disqualified from the tournament if, you know, this, 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 and this is set out there. Listen, you know, having trained and having many women, and as I've mentioned many times on the show, having three daughters, I don't put up with people right. using certain languages. Now, there's a difference. You can't just say, oh, because they use the F word, okay, because guess what? If I just happen to lose a heartbreaker of a hand, you know, but still have chips, and I go, I can't F and believe this, yeah. that shouldn't be a penalty. Right. You understand? Because, you know, we're grown-ups. We understand this. Now, if it's... You're an F and A hole. Yeah, you know, the direction you beat of, me, of the, of the you language. You understand? Yeah, that now it. that right there, that's a difference. That that to me is a penalty. Just saying a word or two or three because you got upset because obviously you took a bad beat. I, I'm a lot more lenient as a manager right. for that, but never using certain words that you, we can't even come close to. You know, to to address a woman or anybody else. You know, th- that immediately for me would be you know right. Uh, uh, Lupi Soto, one of the recent uh, inductees to the Women's Hall of Fame, says while poker is a hostile game by nature, she says we need to raise the respect levels and the fun le- levels. And if we do those two things, we're going to raise the growth of the game. You will. And you know what I, what I believe will happen when they do this? You're going to have your morons and your idiots complain about this. But then as other people start championing the, the rooms that, that, that you know hold true to, to this thing and don't worry about who the player is. You know, once they see, you know, quote, one of the star players who acts like a jerk uh, on a lot of occasions get disqualified from a tournament and then go on his or her rant on, you know, on, on, on social media, and then all of a sudden people are going, oh, I'm glad these people are finally stand. You know, you may have to go through a little bit of, of uh, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? of a little bit of bad publicity because they said, oh, you took too hard. And then the people who normally don't say anything will now all of a sudden start saying, oh, I'm glad, you know, Dave Lemon had right, had, right. had had the courage and, and the fortitude to, to hold to his beliefs and, and to what they said in the tournament. And eventually, if you hold steady and everybody does it, you'll see how that cleans up. Yeah. You just have to have you know, the strength to, to, to withhold. To do that, right. for sure. Uh, let's take one quick final break on the program. We'll take a quick look at uh, where they stand, maybe some of the big names that have been eliminated out there on day three, and we will, we will uh, finish things up. Just a short break, and we'll finish things up very quickly when we get, re- get back. This is Poker Action Live. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. 
A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables. With a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean. You can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. Quick final segment of the program. Big Dave and Joe, uh, they are down under 2,000 players. Uh, we had talked about it earlier, we th- if whether we thought they were going to cash tonight. It probably will not reach the cash until early on day four. They're saying that they did reach it last year late on day three with an extended well, they, bubble, but there's more players this year, and they're not sure they're going to do it. The total number of players, 8,569. Uh, 2,880 started today, and they are now down under 2,000. Uh, some of the big-name players that just recently got knocked out include Jonathan Little, Sam Soverell, Talal Shikurchi, uh Amir Lahavit, a uh, local player from down here in South Florida, just got knocked out. Dutch Boyd is out. Neil Farrell, Eric Lindgren, uh, Phil Locke is out. Uh, both him and Jennifer Tilly made it into day two. Uh, Andy Frankenberger has gone home. Ben Lamb has been knocked out. Uh, a lot of big-name players are headed for the rail, and uh, we'll be back next year. Mike Dentali, not going to be around to uh, hassle some of the women. Uh, several other players. But they are down under 2,000. Uh, 1990 was the last count we had. And let's see if we can give you the chip leader before we're out of here. Uh, you going to be watching any of this, Joe, the next few uh, days? Or a lot of it uh, on like I said, for me, I'm going to probably try to watch more towards uh, Wednesday. You know, I'll look it up online real quick and catch some of it real briefly. But... Um, you know, Julian uh, Milliard is back on top. 947,000 chips here on day 2C. Andrew Brokos has dropped to third. Uh, second is uh, Velastamil Pustina. You and I are looking at two different things. Is I got Andrew Brokos at 1.2. Yeah, I think that's behind, though. Oh, so, okay. Uh, Tom Canuli still alive uh, near the top of the charts. Kevin Saul, uh, a few others. So they are finishing things up. Here on, or actually, uh, I think you're probably right. You probably got the right one. Yep, I got. Uh, the, you got uh, Broco still on top at 1.2. 1. 1. 1.2. I got Galen Hall at just over a million. We've got Julian at 900,000, and then we got Kui uh, Gwyn at 800, and Faraz Jaka right behind him at 780. So, to so this. they're obviously uh, kind of behind too. Uh, someone I follow on Twitter, Sasha Liu. A uh, good female player. She has 756000 and they will move on tonight. So that's going to do it for tonight's show. We appreciate you being with us, and we'll get to next week. We'll be coming up toward the uh, the final table. Yeah, uh, Close to see. it next week. Uh, actually, there will be a couple days left, but we will take a look at that next week, and uh, we hope you'll join us. Joe, thank you. Uh, Gio, thanks for all the help as well. And we hope you'll join us next week on another edition of the show. We'll follow some of our locals when they get back to town. 
We'll get him on the show to talk about it. And of course, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open just around the corner where a lot of tournament players will be coming to South Florida to interview. Thanks for being with us. We'll catch you next week on another edition of the show. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.